Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re-enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Welcome back, everybody. This is Abide in Liberty. I'm so glad you're here. We're in the middle of going through uh, some prophecies from the scriptures that talk about the conditions of the last days. So just as a reminder, we're working our way through 2 Nephi 28. If you're just jumping in and you didn't catch last week, last week, I would highly recommend that you pause this, go back and listen to last week so that you get the whole intro and lead up, and then come back here. This one will make a whole lot more sense. So we're just going to dive right in with where we left off in verses 4 and 20. Here's what it says, And they shall contend one with another. For behold, at that day shall Satan rage in the hearts of the children of men and stir them up to anger against that which is good. I don't know about you, but I see rage everywhere and on both sides of the political spectrum. The mostly peaceful Black Lives Matter, but partially violent and rage-filled protests were one great recent contemporary example. So was the rage that spilled over among some during the Capitol riots. One of my favorite conservative podcasters had a podcast recently on the importance of mocking evil ideologies. Um, Now, if you want to talk about the importance of pushing back against evil ideologies, of pointing out um, how wrong they are, if you want to talk about standing up for what is right and true and wholesome and virtuous, I'm 100% on board. But I do not agree, 100% do not agree with the idea that we should be mocking in any way. Contention is of the devil, and it is he who would have us mocking, trolling, and raging at one another. You know, this was one of the biggest criticisms of Donald Trump was how unkind on social media he could be. Now, I don't believe that he was given a fair shake. Um, You know, for example, he was told many times, or he was called many times, um, a supporter of um, white supremacists and neo-Nazi groups when multiple times he very publicly and very plainly denounced them. And you can look up a montage of this. The media didn't cover that, but continued to pretend like he had never done that. So he didn't get a fair shake. That's obvious. Does that mean that he was the most kind, contentionless person in the world? I think we all know that that's not true. He was quite contentious. Um, Biden's anti-MAGA speech was contentious. He's not turned out to be the great unifier that he promised to be. Now. For those of you, and I've met many who are either diehard Biden fans or diehard Trump fans, I've heard this many times, that no, we need someone like that. We need a bulldog with a little bit of bite to go in and shake things up, to to make the changes happen that you need to be. You need a mean guy to fix the problems. But please don't forget one of the 28 principles of freedom, and one of which is the importance of virtuous and moral leadership. Contention is not virtuous and it is not moral. It is inspired of the devil. We need virtuous and moral leadership. We've had them before. George Washington was a great example of one who was 
incredibly influential at shaping policy and shaping the outcome of government in his day, but he did it without railing and ranting and raving. Captain Moroni is another fantastic example. The reluctant general who was so righteous that if all of us were like him, the very foundation and powers of hell would be shaken forever. That was not because he was a mean guy. It wasn't, he wasn't so mean that, de- that the devil and hell were afraid of him, but it was because he was righteous enough while also being unwilling to compromise on his standards. We do need strength. We need courage. We need the willingness to stand up for what's right, regardless of personal consequences. But that can exist and must exist in our leaders without succumbing to the satanic temptation to engage in contention. Moving on, verse 21, and others will he pacify and lull them away into carnal security that they will say, all is well in Zion, yea, Zion prospereth, all is well. And thus the devil cheateth their souls and leadeth them away carefully down to hell. This is what my last few podcast episodes have been about. We are too comfortable. It is far too easy for us to be inactive. Screens create a false sense of accomplishment and connection through social media and video games, and we waste precious time that we should be spending anxiously engaged in building God's kingdom and preparing ourselves for the turbulent times ahead. Instead, we allow ourselves to be lulled into a false sense of security and put off value and put off valuable temporal and spiritual preparation that we should be desperately taking care of today. And then verse 24, the warning, therefore woe be unto him that is at ease in Zion. All right, I think enough said on that. Talked about that in prior episodes. Make sure and go back and listen to those, but we're going to move on. Verse 22, And behold others, he flattereth away, and telleth them there is no hell. And he saith unto them, I am no devil, for there is none. And thus he whispereth in their ears until he grasps them with his awful chains from whence there is no deliverance. Why is there such an enormous effort to disprove and discredit God, to get him out of schools and out of the public square. Why are there so many who attack those who express faith on social media and elsewhere? You know, I, uh, in response to my post on a recent podcast about the how scary these deep fakes are that um, that people are are able to do these days, and the comment I got was, "LOL." Christ, the original deep fake. Why? What is the motivation for someone to to put something like that? It's pithy, I grant you, but it's not very intellectually sound. It's not convincing. It's not going to do anything uh, good. But why? Why those attacks? Why? Why? Why do people waste their time? Why do they care? Why are people upset and disgusted when they meet people who believe that they are literally the offspring of deity who loves them and values them above all else? A deity who teaches them to be kind, to be self-sufficient, to take care of their families, to work hard and treat others with love, respect, and dignity, to bridle their passions and control their appetites, to take good care of their bodies because their bodies are a temple, to stand up for what is virtuous, lovely, or of good report or praiseworthy. How in the world 
can those teachings and those principles be so threatening to other people? I have a couple thoughts, and there's probably more, but I think it has something to do with this. Those who've convinced themselves that happiness is only to be found in wanton self-gratification cannot accept when they see someone else finding actual happiness in self-restraint because then they can no longer justify their own lack of self-restraint. They have to tell themselves that those churchy people must be duped or deluded somehow, that there's no way they can actually be happy. I also think that God is so threatening because if God is real, you have to accept that the devil and hell are also real. And that has to be terrifying to someone who desperately wants it to be true that you can find happiness in sin and depravity. I think, in part, they're railing against God because they want to convince themselves that there is no devil, for there is none. And like this scripture tells us, once they have convinced themselves that there is no devil, that's the very moment when they open themselves up most to his influence, their guard is completely down. Why would, why would you be guarding your, yourself against a non-entity? And that's when he can enter their hearts, he can rage there, and he can use them to attack those who are actually finding happiness and obedience to God's commandments. So again, it doesn't make sense that anybody who is genuinely happy and content and truly believes in their heart of hearts that what they're doing is they let themselves go in whatever way you want to mean you want that to mean there's no way that if they were truly happy and content that it makes any sense for them to attack people that believe in self-restraint what what is what how does that affect them but when you're under when you deny god when you let your guard down and you are susceptible to satan's influence and he can exercise his power over you then it makes sense it doesn't matter to them to these people to do it, but Satan will certainly use whatever tool he can to attack those who are trying to do what's right and tear them down and make them feel like they're alone and make them feel like they're worthless when God would have them believe they're divine. Verse 23, yea, they are grasped with death and hell and death and hell and the devil and all that have been seized therewith must stand before the throne of God and be judged according to their works from whence they must go into the place prepared for them. Even a lake of fire and brimstone, which is endless torment. That idea must be terrifying to those who would like to do whatever the heck they want. It is far easier to convince yourself there will be no such judgment day because there is no God, despite an abundance of evidence to the contrary. Now, I don't think that this is a conscious decision, right? Man, I, uh, I really want to participate in this bad habit. God says no. So, hey, let's just convince myself that God isn't real and then I can do whatever I want. Um, most of the time when we're justifying, we don't actually realize it. It's incredible um, humanity's capacity for self-justification. You know, if a whole nation could justify itself into exterminating the Jews and believing that that was a right, good thing to do, then is it really that hard to believe that people could justify to themselves that um, they should feel okay with their own evil behaviors and habits? These people are obviously not happy. 
Happy, contented, productive people don't need to waste countless hours trolling happy people on the internet in order to feel fulfilled and to feel like they have accomplished something meaningful in their lives. Verse 28, And in fine, woe unto all those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. For behold, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness, and he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth lest he fall. Those who rage against the truth and against God have to be so loud to mask their trembling knees, their shaking knees. They are not happiness. Wickedness never was and never will be happiness. And and people who are railing this way, I think it helps us to recognize the insecurity that they feel that they may not even recognize in themselves but it's there. And they deserve our pity and our charity. We need to not succumb to the temptation. This goes back to contention being of the devil. We need to not succumb to the the temptation to return railing for railing and cursing for cursing. We must stand strong in our principles and we must speak the truth plainly, courageously, and without fear, but we must never allow ourselves to demonize in our minds or in our words and actions other of God's children. And we cannot allow ourselves to be dragged to their level and get sucked into the devilish contention that their master is using to try and bait us into. We must debate. We must defend. Yes, but as soon as you feel yourself becoming angry, you've crossed a line. Stay far away from that line because once you cross it, Satan can use you to damage the very cause that you are trying to promote and to build up. Now, I want to make sure and share this little ray of sunshine in this chapter because it is, it is a heavy chapter. But verse 30 says, Blessed are those who hearken unto my precepts and lend an ear unto my counsel, for they shall learn wisdom. For unto him that receiveth, I will give more. We become wise as we lend an ear unto his counsel. And then the opposite here in verse 31, cursed is he that putteth his trust in man or maketh flesh his arm or shall hearken unto the precepts of men. In talking in a prior podcast, talking about discerning truth, I talked about how we have to be so good at trusting God and his promptings over what even the most brilliant scientists and doctors tell us. We've got to be so good at trusting God's plan over our own, our family for the last several years, have had an interesting tutelage in that principle. I know I've shared some of this, but I don't know that I've gone this far back. When I um, graduated from college years ago, I took a job uh, with a medical device company, and I was on this finance leadership development path. And the plan was you go through this program and you move every couple of years and you get all this experience. And after 10 years, Uh, They put you in a spot as a division controller. That's kind of the ultimate uh, goal for where they want you to get to. And that's where you're making like a quarter million dollars a year plus a hefty bonus. And you're set at that point, right? So put in the work for 10 years and then you're, you're in a really good position. And I was fortunate enough to be selected for that. Well, about three years into that, we, uh, the work and the sacrifice that was required up front was taking a toll on my family and on my ability to be a parent. So we were prompted and we, as we prayed about this, felt like we were supposed to leave that path 
and join um, and find a job locally where we were here in Southern Arizona, um, which we did. It was it came with a significant pay cut, but we were still able to um, you know save for retirement, pay our bills, um, and you know going into this finance leadership program, my plan was and the way I'd map things out. It kind of put together this plan that would allow me to retire by 50. Well, with this change, you know, we're still able to save for retirement. This might push it off a little bit, maybe now that we're making less money. Um, I'm s- still going to have better family life, but maybe won't be able to retire until the old, old age of 55, right? So that was a little bit of a sacrifice, but we took that leap and it was worth it. It was absolutely worth it in terms of the quality of life and the family life that we had as compared to before. Well, fast forward a few more years, and the Lord tells us it's time to open this school, which we did here in Southern Arizona, and I'll share the details of that story at a different time. But as we were getting ready to open that first school year, um, with all my little forecasts, it looked like we were still going to be able to save for retirement. This might slow things down a little bit, but it'll be okay. Plan's still intact, just altered a little bit. Well, it didn't take long before that first year to not pan out as far as enrollment was concerned, like we were hoping. And all of those retirement plans came to a screeching halt. Um, And that really bothered me. Uh, But over the years, we have been been prompted into making decisions that resulted in less and less of an income for us. And right now, we're, we're able to cover our needs. We're not starving. We have a great place to live. But those plans that I had that that aligned with everything that I had learned in school and everything that I had learned from, you know, financial advisors, this plan that God had, this path that God had put us on created something that was vastly different from that. But I know 100% that we are right where God wants us to be physically and financially. And the peace that comes from that is far greater than when we had a much larger retirement account than we do now, or a larger income than we do now, or a clear path to an early retirement. I don't have that lovely little spreadsheet, but I didn't have the contentment and the peace and the joy that I have now. So what brings you peace and comfort? Is it your? Is it a reliable newish car? Is it the size of your retirement or your bank account? Is it the trust in your degree or degrees? Is it the amount of leisure time that you have? Is it how far you're able to get in your favorite TV series or in that video game? Blessed are those who lend an ear unto my counsel, for they shall learn wisdom. And what is that wisdom? It's that none of these earthly things truly matter. If you are good with God, that is all that matters, and that's all that should ever matter to this country that he was the founder of. Now, that doesn't mean, and I'm not saying that everybody should not worry about retirement or that we should be imprudent or that saving for retirement is bad. It's not bad if that's what God wants you to use the resources he's given you stewardship over for. And really, I think more important than anything is not whether you have a retirement account or not, but would you be willing to give it all away if he told you to? And if you or if I can't say yes, then we need to be spending more time with him. Relationships are built on time and they're built on trust. 
the more time you spend, the closer you get to somebody and the more you trust that person and the easier it it will become in the case of God in following his will as we build, take the time to build that relationship and to build that trust, the easier it will become to answer that question with an unshakable yes. In conclusion, this chapter is just chock full of examples of dangerous mentalities and thought processes that people in our day will be troubled with. If you're like me, you see some of those things at least in a small degree, in yourself. That's normal. That means you're human. But that doesn't mean that you or I can excuse it or justify it or allow it to linger. Change is not comfortable. Change is hard work in something that can be downright painful, but it is so rewarding. I love how C.S. Lewis depicts that process in his novel, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. There's a young boy who's on this journey and they come to an island. And on that island, they find a pile of treasure. And the greed that this young boy feels causes him to turn into a dragon. And through this process, he he realizes he doesn't like this and he wants to change, but he doesn't feel like he can himself. And Aslan, who's the Christ figure, appears and, and helps him claw the scales off of him. And he talks about how excruciating that process was, how painful it was. But when he gets to the other side of it and he is cured and healed of these greedy tendencies and this lust for money, he is so overwhelmed with joy and peace. And the joy that came afterwards completely overshadowed the pain that he felt while going through that changing process. So if you felt a twinge of uneasiness when you heard one of these evil attitudes because you see a little bit of that in yourself, don't shy away from that. Take it by the horns and start today to do something to fix it. The time to act is right now. And in an hour or waiting until tomorrow is simply too late. Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with friends and family. In the meantime, keep up with the show online at AbideInLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting LibertyYouthAcademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong.